Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. It is good to be here with you and it's good to worship with you this morning. If you are a guest with us, there's a welcome card in the pew in front of you. We invite you to fill that out and put it in the offering plate towards the end of the worship service. This card will give us an opportunity to pray for you and offer you further information about the many ministries here at Calvary. We would love the opportunity to meet you today and to connect with you further. A few years ago, when I was in seminary, a classmate of mine gave me Kathleen Norris' book, The Quotidian Mysteries, Laundry, Liturgy, and Women's Work. In it, she explores the sacramental possibilities in all things and in all moments, especially these mundane, seemingly meaningless moments of repetitive tasks and household chores. She writes about how daily life experiences can open us up to the transforming presence of God. Ordinary activities such as taking a walk, preparing a meal, eating together, and running errands are opportunities for us to contemplate and celebrate God's presence with us. Taking the ordinary and repetitive and making it something sacred and holy. In the unlikely and every day, we find God and God's blessings if we are looking and practicing awareness. Today in worship, we will hear stories of Jesus' nearness and fellowship with his disciples as he reveals himself again after his resurrection. Jesus sits along the lakeshore, around a fire, and shares in a meal and conversation with his disciples. And only then did they know it was Jesus with them. As we worship, may we be reminded of God's presence with us in our everyday lives. Whether work or play, may we know that God is with us and may we recognize our Lord's presence. Let's worship God. of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, Alleluia, Alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, oh praise him, oh praise him. Oh, praise him, oh, praise him, hallelujah. 
Pray with me. Father, thank you for guiding each one of us to Calvary Baptist Church. Thank you for the many opportunities we have here of joining together in fellowship and ministry. Thank you that this is a church where we can ask difficult questions, express our thoughts honestly, and love each other unconditionally. Open our hearts and minds today so that as we join together in worship, your spirit is free to work in us. Deepen our understanding of your word and show us ways to share the love and fellowship we experience at Calvary with the world around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Oh, Lord, that's the cry. 
Gospel according to John. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gather there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the disciples came in the boat, dragged a net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. 
This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of God, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? So Peter felt hurt that, and because he had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw this, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the rumor spread in the community that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them. And we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Tú sabes bien lo que tengo. 
room over here. Good morning. This morning I have a story to share with you all. This is a story about one of the ways that Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection. It takes place by a sea and a handful of Jesus disciples are there and one of them is Simon Peter and he said that he was going to go fishing so that others agreed to go with him. And so they get into a boat, but they couldn't catch any fish that night. The next morning, the sun was coming up and the day was beginning and Jesus stood on the beach. And the disciples were in their boat and they saw him, but they didn't recognize him as Jesus. And Jesus called out to them asking if they had any fish. And they said, no, we haven't caught anything. And he said to them, cast your nets on the right side of the boat. So they cast their net in the water on the right side of the boat, and their net began to fill with fish. It became so full that they could not even pull it out of the water. And then they knew that it was Jesus who was on the beach. And Simon Peter jumped into the water and swam to see Jesus. And the others came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. Can you imagine that? A net full of fish with a boat attached. And when they all got to the beach, they saw a fire, similar to the one we're sitting around today. And Jesus told them to bring some of the fish so that they could eat together. That day they had caught 153 fish. Can you imagine a pile of 153 fish? That would be huge. It would be a feast, you're right. 
So Jesus told them to bring some of those fish for them to eat breakfast that day. So they gathered around the fire and they recognized that it was Jesus with them. In this story, the disciples simply eat with Jesus. They share a meal with him and spend time with him around the fire. Eating is something that we do every day, don't we? Do you eat every day? How many times a day do you eat? Three. A lot. Um, three. Three, but I don't eat very much. Three. A lot. I eat four because I have snacks. Four times a day for a snack. I don't eat very much. Five. Three. <laughs> so we eat every day, multiple times a day normally. And we share meals with our family a lot, don't we? Here at church, we also come together and eat. We share fellowship and eat a meal together, sometimes on Wednesday nights, sometimes on Sunday after church. And in these moments of simply being together, maybe eating together, we can know that Jesus is with us. God is always with us, just like Jesus was with the disciples in this moment of eating around the fire. God is always with us in these ordinary moments. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for these children. Thank you for the ways that they remind us that you are always with us. I pray that you would empower them to know you and to find you in their daily lives. Teach them to know your blessings each moment. We love you, God, and we pray this in your name. Amen. With yours you have searched me And was smiling And spoken my name Now my voice left on the shore behind me by your side I will seek other seas and reflecting on uh, this passage in John it strikes me how Peter jumps into the water to have breakfast with Jesus it sounds like an overhyped restaurant commercial you know these fish fillets are jump out of the boat delicious um, but then meals and Jesus have produced a lot of experiences already. I mean, Jesus was derided for dining with sinners. There was the 5,000 that needed to eat and miraculously did. There's also the time Jesus broke the bread to explain his coming death. That meal was closely followed by Peter's three denials of Christ. And now Peter was present for the breakfast, right before his three affirmations of Christ, a moment of redemption. But right before this was a long night. It's easy to relate with that fruitless fishing experience at the start of the chapter. I mean, there are times I feel unmoored, unproductive, and just plain failing at what I want to do. I mean, there are struggles of anxiety and second-guessing, these moments that even the extreme grace extended by friends allowing us to function seem not to fully overcome. There are waiting weeks that become months longer for a house that brings questions of why and am I, what am I putting my kids through? I mean, there are seamless, seemingly endless leaky pipes and projects that ask, did we make the right choice? There are simply periods of life that drown out most everything but frustrations, fears, and failings around me. We are acquainted with empty nets and long nights. 
Where are the fish? But Jesus calls still, and he redeems. Our move to an old house on an acre of land just a block away from here to try and develop an urban farm, you know, to partake with others in working in Calvary's community garden, they're products of meals Christ has offered, words that have filled me, words that are challenging me around the relationship of spiritual and physical nourishment. I just want to share a couple of these breakfasts with you from Pope Francis, how he discusses the human environment, how the human environment and natural environment deteriorate together, how we can't address the degradation of the environment without looking at human and social degradation, and vice versa, that deterioration of the environment often impacts those with the fewest resources to react. And bear with me a short passage from Norman Wurzbaugh, just because this is just a clear glimpse at some of those meals that have called me from those uh, fruitless fishing nights. Food is a holy and humbling mystery. Every time a creature eats and participates in God's life-giving yet costly ways, ways that simultaneously affirm creation as a delectable gift and as a divinely ordered membership of the independent need and suffering and help. Whenever people come to the table, they demonstrate with the unmistakable evidence of their stomachs that they are not self-sustaining gods. They are finite and mortal creatures that depend on God's many good gifts. Sunlight, photosynthesis, decomposition, soil fertility, water, bees and butterflies, chickens, sheep, cows, gardeners, farmers, cooks, strangers, and friends. The list goes on and on. Eating reminds us that we participate in a grace-saturated world, a blessed creation worthy of attention, care, and celebration. Real food, food that is the source of creaturely health and delight, is precious because it is a fundamental means through which God, God's nurture and love for the whole creation are expressed. These are the breakfasts that beckon me from the midst of my empty nets. These are the spiritual meals that convict me about my physical meals as well. These are the meals where afterward Christ calls and restores. I appreciate Calvary in the way that there are places to explore God's calling to feed a sheep. Through things such as looking at payday lending or partnering with summer meals, uh, the Samaritan Fund, and much, much more. But I'm also thankful Calvary has a space for a community garden, and now we have an acre of land down the block to explore what to do in a zip code with Waco's highest lead blood elevation levels in children, what to do to connect with creation and food in the middle of the city. Christ is risen, but sometimes the nets are still empty. However, Jesus calls continually, and he redeems. Hallelujah.
Oh God, in this place of trust and goodness, we remember again our need for You and for Your grace. We have not done things that we should have done this week, and we have left so much undone and need Your forgiveness. We have said things, and we have failed to say things, and we are in need of Your forgiveness. We have thought things, and we have avoided reflecting on the things You had called us to think on, and we need Your forgiveness. We receive again Your grace, God, that we might begin again and that we might hear anew Your call to live in this world, to pay attention to the work that is ours to do. Oh God, You desire truth in the inward being, so teach us wisdom in the sacred and secret heart. Amen. This text that we've been thinking on this morning has always been an intriguing one for me uh, through the years, but especially now… Um, you know, you go down to the bottom of that page in most of your Bibles, and you'll find that it says there that chapter 21 is not in the earliest manuscripts. Have you noticed that? When you do, I think it's even more intriguing because the same thing happened in Mark's gospel. Someone added a few pages at the end of John's gospel as well. We're really sure of that. We're very sure of that because it's not in the oldest manuscripts when when you look there in about 90 at a, a, a rendering of John's Gospel, chapter 21 is not there. And, and it's also that it's a different kind of writing, so it'd be a little like you're going through your closet and you find a box of, of uh, letters that maybe your mom wrote you in college, right? And you think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these. And you start reading a few of them, and then you come across one where the penmanship changes and the grammar changes, and then you recognize one of your dad's little sayings, something like, if a job's worth doing, sweetheart, it's worth doing right, something like that. And you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's not your mom, that's your father. And he had come along and added some things to the end of that letter before she stuck it in the envelope. That's what happened in John's Gospel. The church came along, or some editing committee came along, or some person, a creative soul, or the Holy Spirit, all of the above, likely. And they added the 21st chapter to John's story of Jesus. And I want us to look at it again in that light today and be curious as to why. Why not end in chapter 20? It's a great ending. You have the story of Thomas, and you need to believe. And John concludes with, I've, I've told a lot of these stories so that you'll come to believe. Why not stop there. A someone or some someones came along and found this story about Jesus on the beach and thought, no, this, this goes right here. We're going to put this on this perfectly good gospel. I wonder why. Peter says, I think I'll go fishing, which, which not only means a return to what he was doing, but where he was doing it before he came across Jesus. In Luke's gospel, they get, the disciples do, specific instructions to remain right there in Jerusalem, and they stay put down there in the south. They stay right there. But here at the end of John, who, remember, is not writing out of sort of an interesting chronology, but theology, 
they head north to their old stomping grounds of Galilee. Peter and some of his friends go back to what they know, to what's normal and familiar, this way of life that was theirs, the skill of it and the smell of it, and the safety of it for sure, to the millions of memories, no doubt, in the body with the I can do this with my eyes closed kind of feeling. They return to that. And I think this is very significant, especially if you keep in mind that this story is added later on, maybe decades later after all of the fireworks and the magnificent experiences that were associated with the life and work of Jesus, and especially the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? Just think about that for a minute. All of those other post-resurrection stories because everyone's adrenal glands have been working overtime. They've been through it, right? This profound sadness and extreme fear, unbelievable gladness, everything so intense and it's so tragic and it's so wonderful and otherworldly and is, there's transcendence in awe every day, it seems. Jesus, in his appearances in John 20, you remember, he's popping in and out of the room in kind of a ghost-like fashion. He's in their faces. He's breathing on them. And the other gospel stories, they're like this too, with the exception of the Maus story in Luke, really. The rest of them totally and completely, and in one case, literally in Matthew's gospel on the mountaintop. And at the beginning of this added chapter, Peter says, I'm going fishing, which is for him a return to something normal and every day, the sameness of things, and I guess he needed that. And I'm wondering why the church thought we needed it. Why, why did they want us to see this? Maybe it's because at some point, this spiritually speaking, this is the experience we're all going to know, right? We're going to have these seasons of intensity, but they do not remain. They do not remain, do they? They never do. And by the time this story was going around, the early Christians were reading it. They knew that spiritual truth as well. It had been decades, decades since the resurrection. Most of them in the church were not eyewitnesses, though they had become followers of Jesus along the way. They were still, you know, fishermen and fisherwomen and carpenters, and tax collectors, and seamstresses, and soldiers, and moms, and dads, and it was all pretty normal, really. And so I suspect on that occasion, they wondered about their connection to Jesus. I mean, why is it not so intense like it was with the apostles, or even like it once seemed to be for us? And they're probably thinking, Surely we've done something wrong, or maybe this isn't all that real. There, there was a time and you know, when we first became followers, they just put everything else on hold. And they did church and faith all the time, and it was amazing. And now it's not the same. I hear this a lot when I'm talking to Baylor students, you know. They'll say something like, when I first got here, I was in three Bible studies every week, and I prayed all the time, and I read Beth Moore and Max Nucato every night, and... Over the last year or so, I don't know, I seem to have lost that passion. That's, that's a common lament for students, and maybe it was for others in the church. Peter says, I think I'll go fishing. And then the church tells us this story, puts it into the gospel. And I'm wondering if it's not to help us all to feel blessed to do the same. The nine to five, and the day in, day out, 
week in, week out, stuff that doesn't seem all that spiritually significant. I, I just wouldn't be surprised at all if some 70 or 80 or 90 years after the resurrection, the church didn't need a story just like this one where the great apostle just needs to go fishing. Fishing. Where, where, where he gets out of the drama and out of his head and back into that boat. For all of us, that can be a pretty important move, spiritually speaking. It's often exactly, in fact, what the doctor will order for us because we get so very stuck in our heads, you know, with all of our questions and doctrines and all of our big compelling issues. We find ourselves there a lot in this community, right, around this town, asking the huge questions. And it's good to do, thinking in those ways and nurturing those conversations that matter, that change us, these Big questions, though, ultimately they lead to a kind of paradox and a mystery, and we're just not going to get there with some easy answer, resolution, because we've debated enough, and we've studied enough, and we've rationalized together. So it's absolutely important, I think, for us to go fishing, and I'm really serious about that. Sometimes as I'm doing spiritual direction with folks, I find myself saying, you just need to know there's some theological truth you can't get to unless you go work in your garden or, or, or maybe, you know, clean the kitchen with, with your wife or, or call a friend or shoot the breeze or play a game of racquetball or golf or just build something. You know, John's gospel, when you read it, it's so very visionary. That's why the eagle is the symbol of, of John's gospel, this archetypal image that's always above us. It's always up here, broad and cosmic this truth that is inviting us to ascend to it and, and we should go there and we should think on those things and engage them, but it's interesting that the church added here at the end of that very heady, visionary, mystic story, all that large stuff, there's a story where they go fishing. And they sit on the beach eating breakfast and they just talk. The church, especially in the West, has a way of getting away from these kinds of things that have to do with our lives. Pretty early on it got into doctrines and fights about doctrines and creeds and theologies. Do we believe this or do we believe that and who is in and who is out based upon all of this and how can you know for sure and can you proof text that? By the time the story, this story makes it into John's gospel, listen, the church is headed down that path. Not necessarily a bad one, but in isolation from things that are real, not a healthy place to just get stuck in all this propositional stuff all the time. The Greeks and the Romans, you know, were pretty rationalist as cultures go. And here the leader of the church is, Peter, St. Peter, and he's hung out a sign on his apostolic office door that says, gone fishing. And most important of all, as we have heard, most important of all, when he goes fishing, Jesus meets him there. The, the risen Lord finds him there in the ordinary. I love the way that Tom Key uh, did this moment in a play. It's a play version of the Cotton Patch Gospel. Clarence Jordan wrote this back in the, I think, the middle of the last century, civil rights era years ago. It was the gospel set in the South. You're smiling. You know this. The Cotton Patch Gospel. So, I need a little help here. Hang on. So, it went something like this, the scene did. Hey, fellas! Uh, up here! Uh, 
okay, cast your lines on the other side of the boat and you'll catch a big one. Hang on just a second. What'd that feller say over there on the, on the beach? I can't hear him. Uh, he said, if we cast over there on that other side, we'll catch a big one. Oh, well. <laughs> Why didn't we think of that? We've just been sitting here fishing all night long here off the point. Maybe we should just cast over there. We'll catch a big one. And they did. And they caught a big one. And there's no question for sure about the kind of deja vu kind of moment that was for the twelve, right? This is a replay of something that happens in the synoptic gospels when Jesus first calls them and they catch a boatload and immediately like that the recognition was there, it is the Lord. Now, just aside, a note. Remembrance spiritually is always like that. It's this vertical experience that happens to to us because there is this immediate download of truth that resonates in the heart, our heart and God's heart together. It's the Lord. We just know. So Peter swims to the shore. Uh, First of all, he has to get dressed because he was fishing nakedly. There's probably spiritual significance to that, (laughs) but I'd really rather not talk about it, you know. He got dressed and he swam and left the others to drag the 153 uh, fish to the shore. And and there's likely, folks say, significance to the whole 153, maybe the number of different kind of fishes in the ocean and the number of ethnicities in the world, that sort of thing. It's not what I want to talk about, though I would like to point out that by the time they got there to the beach, Jesus was already serving fish tacos. Jesus is saying, y'all bring some more of that fish over here so we can all eat together. There it is again. We've noted that. Let's just have a meal. Let's just do something normal together. Hey, y'all, let's eat breakfast. When we return to our boats and and leave the mountaintop, we, we go back to what's normal through our parenting and grandparenting and gardening and grading and friendships and faithfulness and just showing up. And when we do that, the Lord is going to show up too. And when that happens, we'll be able to make connections too. We'll learn how to do that. We'll say, as John did, it's the Lord. Maybe right there in the kitchen making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It's the Lord. Or right there at the copy machine where a co-worker is in his pain sharing it with you. And it's the Lord. Or on a walk through the neighborhood or walking down the fish aisle at HEB are being faithful again and again to walk through these doors. It's the Lord. Jesus will meet us there, and it's deja vu all over again, where this experience that we have is connecting with a residue within us of our overall experience with the Lord. And we'll know again, won't we? In some way that, yes, the gospel is true, and and we are on a path. And every point in that path is a place of holiness. We'll know and we'll know always that we have all of there is of God. Always. 
You've got it all already, whether you're taking communion or eating fish tacos. I, I do love this story about this encounter where Peter is able to see again his own calling too. And we, we need to remember that, right? It happened again for, there, for Peter there on the beach, right? Maybe he had begun to lose connection with that calling just a little bit. You know, he had messed up so badly. Was he really the one to shepherd the church? Jesus had already reframed his life for him. Yeah, you're going to fish still, but it's going to be for people. But here on the, on the beach, with the familiarity of all of it there, in a very post personal kind of heart-to-heart moment, he's commissioned again. Why would we think it would only happen once? We get commissioned again and again, and maybe over some PB and J moment it happens for you. Maybe it's just for that day, just for that moment. You remember again who you are in these moments, and you remember again what you're about, what the work of your life is. I'm so glad Jesus met Peter here in this ordinary place. And that he was able to be reminded or he had a moment of remembrance, a kind of download about who he was and what his work was really all about. Right there on that beach with the morning sun warm in the sky and the waves rolling softly and the smell of 153 fish and fish tacos cooking as well, the Lord called him again to fish, and to feed, and to follow. God, in the week to come, we hope and we trust that we could somehow connect with the good truth that we already have all of you that we need. We, we, we pray for one another that there might be moments of simple but profound encounters with the gospel and the part we're to play in that. Help us, God, to see you. Help us be mindful of Christ moments that call us again to being a follower. Through Christ we pray. Amen. We invite you, as always, to take a hymnal in hand as we stand and, and sing together in response to what we have experienced in this day. Our staff will be at the back of the sanctuary. If there's something you want to pray about, some decision that you're trying to discern around, they'll be there to speak with you, greet you, and receive you and pray with you. Would you stand together as we sing?
joined Calvary nearly 20 years ago, there was no joy in our bank account, but there was great joy in what we gave each month. We were taught from an early age to give of our first fruits from God. And over the um, next few years, we were able to work up to a tithe, for which we were very grateful. At times, we were tempted to look at what we weren't able to do. 
But God always provided for us, and he always turned our eyes back towards him. We give because we support our ministers at Calvary, who share Jesus' love and peace and words, not only within these walls, but in the community and the world. We are passionate about the missions Calvary is involved in, from Children's Bible Club to helping our friends at West Avenue to South Texas and China and Lebanon. For the many ways we share God's kingdom here, that's why we give to Calvary. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as Jesus told his disciples to cast out their nets and those nets were filled with fish, may we also follow God's directive, casting out our nets, pulling in the gifts that he provides and sharing our gifts with others. Lord, you do give us so much. May we always remember that whatever we have is from you and these gifts of time, talent, and treasure are to be shared. So let us now share from what you give and continue your work in this place. Amen. As school is ending and we are moving into the summer, we are just two weeks away from Children's Bible Club today. It is June 12th through the 16th from 6 to 8 p.m. each evening of that week. And we are still in need of volunteers in many areas. We need people to help lead different grade level groups, including kindergarten, second and third grade. We still need people in recreation and to help with transportation, as well as a leader in crafts. We also just need more people in general. If you are not interested in a specific thing that I just listed, we still want you to help out. Um, if you are interested in signing up, Carol Boyle and I are going to be in the Welcome Center immediately after worship. Um, with a sign-up sheet. So come by, see what's available, and ask us any questions that you might have. Looking forward to that week together. Thank you. I saw Principal Alexander back there with us. Hey, we are just always so grateful when you join us for worship, and um, especially grateful for the important work you do each and every week. There have been some significant situations at West Avenue that he has just poured out love and care and support recently, and we are praying with you and glad to partner with you at West Avenue. Um, I wanted to call up Alexis and Tyler Johnson to be up here with me. You may recognize Alexa. She was our preschool coordinator for several years and also very active in our children's ministry and in young adults. And Alexis and Tyler were married right here on May 13th and just back from their honeymoon. Yeah, you want to... <laughs> So this is their first Sunday back at Calvary as husband and wife, but it's also their last Sunday here with us as husband and wife, at least for a while. Tyler has been called as the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Williamsburg, Kentucky, um, which means that he is going to give up his Tennessee roots and become a University of Kentucky Wildcat, right? <laughs> Um, and they will be moving to Kentucky this week. Alexis will be doing her mentoring this summer with one of the CBF field personnel who's also serving in Kentucky. So we had a very special gift we wanted to give you all, and that is your marriage license. I thought you would appreciate that. 
But in seriousness, one of the best parts and one of the hardest parts of being here at Calvary is that we have such incredible people who come to be with us for a season of time, but then God calls them out to do ministry all around the world. And so know that we support you and are praying with you, and you will always be such an important part of the Calvary family. Um, I'm going to invite you all to have a seat, but then we can walk out together, and I'd love for you all to be able um, to share your well wishes with the Johnsons as you leave today. Also, this is my last Sunday with you all for a little while. Um, It's hard to believe that I have been here almost eight years now, and several mentors and church leaders have encouraged me just to take some time for rest and renewal before we begin this significant new chapter together. And I really want to be able to offer my best self to God and to you when I begin as pastor. And so this time off will allow me to come back and just to dive in wholeheartedly to the important work that God is calling us to do together in this place. Um, Bert, you may have inspired me to go fishing some this summer at my parents' farm in Kentucky. There's this great pond in the back, so maybe I'll do that. So I will be away for six weeks of sabbatical and vacation time, and then I will begin officially serving as pastor on July 10th. Um, If you read The Tower last week's, you can find out more information about what I'll be doing during that time. And then just this past Thursday's Tower, you can find out the logistics of who to contact in various situations. So Phil Sitton will be the staff person in charge of lots of different things while I'm gone. Also, Ed Davis, the chair of deacons, will be available for pastoral care, and we will have deacons who are on call each week as well. Um, Their contact information is in the worship folder and in the tower if you will need any of that. Um, I appreciate your prayers and support and really making this time away possible. That means so, so much to me. And I'm also grateful to the staff and the lay leaders who will be serving here this summer um, because we have a full summer of missions and ministry and lots of things that we hope that you will all be a part of. I can't wait to be back with you all in July, and I really am looking forward to all that God has in store for us in the days ahead. Brothers and sisters, and especially you, friend, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, peace which comes through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we all live and move and have our being.